Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of M365 Voice. I'm Antonio Mayo. I'm Sarah Halsey. And I am Mike Monodonic. And today we've got a special guest with us. I'd like to welcome Heidi Jordan to our call. Welcome, Heidi. Hello. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Great. So the way we usually uh, um, have guests on our, our podcast in the past is we kind of round robin, ask a bunch of questions about what you do and the things you like to focus on on the Microsoft platform, maybe get a little bit technical uh, and just have you share as much information as you can about the topic. So maybe we can start off with you introducing yourself, uh, where you're located and what you do. Oh, you bet. Fun facts. Okay. Well, I am Heidi Jordan. I am located in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Um, right now, I am a, a senior modern workplace consultant with Avanade. So I've been in the SharePoint space for about 14 years, and I tell everyone that I am a SharePoint girl living in a power platform world. So SharePoint is my roots. That's my home, even though that was my baby. So, but more recently, I've kind of dove into the um, power platform space. Great. And you were just awarded a Microsoft MVP award in business applications, if I'm not wrong. Yes. So that aligns perfectly. So yes, I was. Thank you. One of the most (laughs) newly minted New Year MVPs. That's right. Hot off the press. Congratulations. That's great. (laughs) That's great. Thank you. you. Have you been working on that MVP award for a while? Is that something that's been a focus for you or kind of was it a surprise for you? It A little both, I would say. I mean, I've my backstory. I mean, I've been in this community for years, 10 years, you know, going to conferences, just kind of learning from people and and then taking those things, applying it to my job. And that's what I've been doing for years. And I kind of just hit this point where, you know, I'm like, I can contribute to this too. Like I have something that other people would value from. So then I decided to kind of make that switch. And that's when I started jumping into speaking and then COVID hit. <laughs> so then there was like a huge gap of, you know, and just kind of lost that sense of community during that. Yeah. Um, but now I've really just kind of turned it around, gotten into speaking, doing some mentorship, started a blog. Um, that mentorship really helped me understand what MVP is and what it means and how it comes to you. Like you don't really seek it. It can be a goal, certainly, but it's really like, what can you do for the community? And so that's kind of how um, it just came a point in my journey where that was really the next logical thing for me. So. So yeah, the long answer, but <laughs> here we are. And I'd love to talk to you a little bit about this, Heidi, because um, you and I have had a lot of, I think I've known you for probably at least six or eight years, right? But, mm-hmm. and I knew you, right, as the SharePoint girl in the SharePoint world. And I know we've had many conversations about how to, at some point, differentiate your passion in your areas of interest. And from a community perspective, that also kind of goes into the whole MVP or being a consultant, do you want to talk a little bit about kind of your evolutionary journey on how you decided where to focus? Because you have a really cool story about that. Yeah, I think so. I think you, it's been brought up, like you build your brand. You know, there's so many, whenever I think of, like I see Sarah's name, I think about hub sites. (laughs) Like there's got to be some sort of correlation. Mike's the migration guy. Antonio, I think about compliance. You know, there's got to be something that really sets you apart from the from the crowd in that respect. And, you know, you don't have to be like the expert on it. You just have to have some valuable information that relates to the masses, you know? So I, I you know, I'm trying to, my first session was um, like power, power apps and power automate tips for first time user. And that one is like every place I put that into, they pick it because there are so many people out there who are just 
like get into power apps and then they quit because they're like, I don't get it. It's too much. Like there's what I don't know. I'm not going to do this. So my focus is really to help those people get started and then, you know, enable them, tell them what I struggled with. And that's really kind of my focus is I struggled with this. Now you don't have to, <laughs> you know, let's make it easy. Let's empower some more of those citizen developers and get them started down the right path. So they don't run into, you know, governance issues later. What I love about that is that you don't have to be, um, I'm not a I'm not a dev. Uh, I'm not actually an IT pro, although I do some level of IT pro work, um, right? I'm a librarian working in IT, but you don't have to be a 400 level or a 500 level or a 600 level technical knowledge to be able to have information to share. And I think sometimes people think that in order to be able to go to a user group and speak or go to a Microsoft 365 event or a conference and speak, you have to like have all of the knowledge or the answers to all of the questions. Exactly. And if you look at from previous experience in events, when I used to submit the 300, 400 level uh, sessions, the audience is much smaller. Yeah. When you submit the 100, 200, you get a full room because a yeah. lot of people are looking for the 100, 200 more than the 300 and 400. So uh, you can benefit, you can benefit anyone, but you can benefit a lot more people at the 100, 200 level than the 300, 400 level. Exactly. I started looking, I started creating sessions that I want to go to at conferences. You know, I, it's, I, I love to go to sessions for the speaker and know that they're just going to deliver this quality content. I can pick out some nuggets and I can go back and apply it immediately. That's kind of how I choose my sessions. And that's really how my sessions are developed is, you know, to put some of those nuggets in there to get people started. I love it. So tell us about how you do power platform work and how you do it from a day job perspective. Sure. I, I like I said, I, I came from SharePoint land and InfoPath, the I word, and SharePoint designer, and you know the the pillar of these on-premise tools. And um, I think the story of how I got started in it is funny. It, it's you know I got a, a new position, and I was come brought in to be like a SharePoint migration person. And the first thing I did was migrate them off a third-party workflow solution to Power Apps and Power Automate. So I got my start in Power Platform by being just thrown in and say, go. You know, the licensing was in place. Everything was already there. It was just like, what can you do? Can you take us off this software? So I really started to pick apart these solutions and the specific concepts within them and figure out how to relay that over into Power Apps and Power Automate. So building up that confidence and, you know, how I made that solution and put it out there for the organization that got me started in this journey of meeting with other people to help them do it so you know it's and before that you even consider these power platform solutions and uh, migrating to them you really need to just take a step back and take the technology out of it and look at your process you know a lot of times organizations they've got these people doing these manual processes and no one has ever asked them why <laughs> you know why are you doing this and they say well because i was told day one you know they have no idea so and a lot of times they don't even know what their process is like if you were to say like how do we get for example, policies. How do we get this policy reviewed into the board? Like, I, I don't know. I just start sending it out. I start doing, you know, so sometimes people don't even know. So I think it really starts with that non-technical conversation in the beginning, you know, and mapping that out for users, making some kind of visual, helping them with their process. Because once you have that, you can really, you're building out your, your process, your flow, you know, because Power Automate is very visual, very 
um, you can step it down. So once you have that mapped out, it easily goes over into the Power Platform. And oftentimes when I actually got my start in SharePoint doing process automation with SharePoint using lists and SharePoint designer workflows. And here's the thing, when you start talking to people about a process, many times your business users that you're talking to may not have created the process. They got trained in on it from someone else. And when a new requirement pops up, they add a new sub-step. So you end up with a process that may have started as six steps and now is 27 steps with 14 sub-steps under step 12. Right. And it gets very convoluted and they might not even understand why. And so that's mm -hmm. what I'm thinking about when you're whether you're using a whiteboard or a visual. So most of the work, Mike always says this migrations is mostly planning and analysis and then a little execution. It sounds like you're saying the same thing for this. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yep, that's a really good um, point. I was thinking the same thing in SharePoint, too, that a lot of people with migrations, they just bury things under folders and then they'll like, oh, wait until we migrate and then we'll clean it up. <laughs> you know, kind of the same thing. Right. The same way for Power Platform, too. You know, we're, we're just doing this. We'll, we'll figure it out later when we buy a software to do it, you know, so. So, Heidi, when you're having those conversations to kind of figure out and map the pros, and this is a key challenge I've seen with some clients, who is it that you try to have in the room? Like, what kinds of roles? Because I find sometimes those conversations talk to the just to the technical folks that that would implement the thing or previously implemented the thing. And I often find that that's that's not enough, or it's not the right audience to serve. So, what are your thoughts around who is it that you get that kind of information from on the process? That's a great, great question and a great point. Um, I work with mainly smaller businesses, financial institutions. So generally, the reason you're talking to them is because of the result of an audit finding. So it's come from the top, you know, and they're saying we need to fix this, bring someone in. So but that's not the people you want to talk to. You want to have those people in the room who are going to do this every day. The people that are actually babysitting this process and you know manually sending out those emails and those are the people you need to start your conversation with. You know, you need to let them tell you about all the pain points and why this is so manual and then have them describe their best case scenario and say, "Okay, the 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 limit is the moon. Tell me what you want this solution to do and step that down because that's really great for user adoption, you know, because there might be something that isn't working. Like, for example, that third party workflow, there was something that really simple concept that wasn't working. And if you can fix that with the Power Platform, you're, they've adopted your solution immediately, yeah. you know, so yeah. it's those users, the ones that are struggling with the actual manual process, because they're also going to be the one potentially that will maintain it. You know, if they're lucky, they'll have the support of an IT staff or someone that can help them when those flows error out. But sometimes um, the, the IT staff can look at the flows and say there's an error and they don't know how to fix it. Like you need to reset this value on this document in SharePoint and then you kick it off. Like you, you've got to have a little bit of a blend of both. And one thing that I often find when you talk to users, when I've done process automation work, when you ask them, like, what are your pain points and bottlenecks and what's your wish list? If you were going to ask for anything, what would you ask? And I love the way that they phrase it, because a lot of times people would think, oh, don't ask them whatever they want, because they're going to ask for something that's going to take three weeks to custom dev. Most of the time they say, is there any way that you could shade something in gray when it's done or yeah. something simply? <laughs> And, and they ask it like they've never gotten anything that they wished for before, right? Yeah. But oftentimes you'll find some nuggets in there that will sell them on the solution that aren't that hard and maybe only will take a little bit of time to figure out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. They're often very reluctant to ask like the way you put it, Sarah. 
And they're like, if you could just change this one thing, it would be, it would save me so much time. It's, it's they're usually really simple things that they're asking for. And it's like, yeah, we can make that button gray. Yeah, exactly. I always say, tell me the list of things that you love to have and things that you hate to have as well. So that would animate a lot of things and it would open up the door for them to ask those little asks that might think, they might think it's too much to do. It would be really the simple thing to do. So it's all about mapping and making sure that every, the steps are in place and I guess. And um, so I was gonna, it's gonna lead me into the question. So once you talk to the the right people about automating them, the manual process, like how, how do you translate that into a, the, the technical, if you wanna take it down another level uh, to the technical aspects, how do you, do you start with the, Power automate? Do you do you do you do Visio? Do you use paper mind map? And then do you introduce power apps at all? Like how how does that business requirements translate into building this automation? Sure. So my my solutions generally I, I like to use SharePoint as a data source. Um, okay. I and then I also use power apps and I use power automate. I try to you know combine the three. Um, I like to work backwards. So, you know, with financial institutions, we're generally building some sort of approval process because we need an audit report at the end of it. So then you, so you know, you have your, your report, well, what do you need to collect on this report? So then you start to see the fields that need to be collected. And that really helps you build out your SharePoint list, which then in turn helps you build out your form. So you already have like all of the things on your form that you need. And then for the actual flow side, then you kind of look and see, okay, what needs to be populated? Well, I see here I have a doc owner and I need a date and I need a response, you know, so then that kind of helps you map out your, your flow, which I do use Visio for. I love to um, map it out first and have the, the person agree to, yes, this is what the process is and this is what we're going to do. Um, but the other thing that's key about using Power Automate is, you know, sometimes these review processes can have about six levels you know it's going to go to the stock owner and then it's going to go to the department and then it steering and then you know all these different things so try and break up your processes into like six different flows rather than one giant flow with six approvals inside because i've been burned too many times on it gets down to it steering and then that person is out for a month and then your flow times out and then you have to restart the whole entire thing at the top you know and everyone has to approve again so and that also helps you get around if you have any limitations with the number of flow runs based on your licensing. Um, that will help you get around that as well. So really break your big processes up into about six small ones, Visio, and yeah, work backwards. Yeah. You're starting from the data source. Yep. I like yep. that. And to be able to determine what you want in the data source. So starting with the data fields, the data types. Um, I remember way back in the day, right, your standard SharePoint list, what fields are going to be structured, what's unstructured, right, what's a single line of text versus a choice drop down and defining every valid value that you can. Um, I love the way that you're going after it because it doesn't matter how long you've been doing process automation or whether you're doing it in SharePoint and SharePoint Designer or Power Apps and Power Automate, a lot of the core tenets are very similar. Yeah, and that's by putting this into SharePoint too, it really gives the non-technical users the ability to monitor the process too. If this if this data is in Dataverse, the um, 
you know, Karen who does the board reviews and wants to go check on the processes is not going to have great visibility into that if she needs to modify a record or something. I think that SharePoint makes it more available to the users who are actually maintaining the solution with the correct controls in place to make sure that not everyone can, you know, modify those. So I was going to ask a bit of a technical question, Heidi, where <laughs> have you run into a circumstance where SharePoint was not the right data source? And Absolutely. what alternative would you look at? Yeah, I, I would say that it does have its place, um, but there are some limitations with it. Um, whew, I, I guess Dataverse would be the next logical step. You know, that okay. gets a little bit more formality. It's a little more locked down. Yeah. Um, you know, and there are certainly third party tools that can start do some of these if their their process is so large and complex that and there's something that's already out there by all means you know go go buy it but the the you know the processes that i try and help with are the things that we can really keep in house and leverage our microsoft 365 licensing because a lot of people don't realize that they're already paying for this stuff and they can build some pretty powerful solutions with it that's a great point the, the you're already paying for it is you're right something that a lot of people don't realize mm -hmm. yep uh, I'm going to pick up on something you just said when you when you said you're going to you, sometimes you break up uh, the automations into multiple workflows because if, if you have different level approvals, so it doesn't time out. Have you done anything similar? It doesn't have to be approval, but you broke up the actual automations into multiple workflows rather than having there's just one giant one that takes quite a bit of time to execute. And at what point you decide you want to break it up? Break it up? I would say if the approvals go to different people, that's a good yeah. time to, to break it up. Um, that, that'd be one thing. Um, the approvals themselves actually never expire, but the flow run expires at 28 days. So right. that is a huge you know, mm -hmm. thing. Also, if you think that that portion of this process is gonna take more than 28 days, then you def that's definitely a good breaking point to move it to a different flow. Okay, got it. And you said before that most of the time when you're working with end users or the people who are running the business process, sometimes they have an IT person or a consultant who will maintain the workflows and the power apps for them. But oftentimes you're training the process doer to be the person who's going to own the power automate workflows and the power apps. That can be a little bit overwhelming if they're brand new. How do you usually start those conversations? Yeah, I like to push. I love to always start out with like a. A SharePoint site. And then I always pushing as much data back as I can during that approval process so that the user can go in to a SharePoint list and see the status of where it's at. So they don't, if you go out and check the flow run, all it says is running. Like it doesn't really tell the user that where it's at unless they actually click into the flow. And even so, it just sits what step it's on. So it doesn't really give them a ton of information. So I always try to kick back information to the SharePoint list, you know, so that they can easily monitor it that way. Um, and then build a nice, warm, fuzzy SharePoint online site with links and images and stuff. And they they love that to have that GUI interface to be able to go check on their process. So that definitely helps with training the non-technical users to to handle that maintenance. And then maybe just create a document and choose the top five. Like if this happens, here's what you do because you can't accommodate for all the errors that Power Automate is going to throw at you or all the scenarios. Um, but you know, 80% of the time you're going to see these top five things, and here's how you can fix that. So you made me think about something else, Heidi. So when it comes to that list and, and all of the data that you're putting in terms of status, which I think is a great idea. Um, 
do you, I, I imagine you probably work on workflows that or business processes that need to be auditable. You need to keep an audit trail of what happened. Do you use that same list as the audit trail or do you use something else as your audit trail? I've heard of both. So I've heard of, so you'd have that list for like the end users, but then to actually keep a more locked down, every time something happens, just create a SharePoint list in the background, take away all the access and then just um, log every time something happens. And then yeah. that can produce a nice report of when things were approved and times and dates, but then it keeps it out of that, you know, commonly accessible one for the yeah. maintenance. Yeah. I found that that's, that's, that's usually the route that we go. And I was wondering if that was this, because um, when you're using that same list that's tracking what's happening as your audit trail, it can sometimes get too big and just bog down your business process. Mm -hmm. uh, so separating that into two, two things. Yeah, completely agree. I think that's a, a great approach. Definitely. It. it gives the users, and then you don't have to get into any security and compliance admin centers or anything. You know, it's a really good, yeah. easy way to keep the users, give them the power to see their yeah. own things too. Yeah. I don't know if you've run into this, but I've run into assessing older on-prem SharePoint environments where they had another workflow solution and it was logging to a list and that list now has 2 million items in it. <laughs> and it just drags the thing to a halt. And it's like, well, that's why you've got this big list of 2 million items that you keep trying to throw more into. I don't know, have you run into that kind of situation when, and how do you plan for that? I, I, we've run into some with some very large uh, numbers and it would just start getting it out of there, <laughs> you know, just start to offload that and store that somewhere else because, you know, and building Power Automate <clears throat> flows to kick that to a new Excel sheet or something. And it takes all weekend sometimes to chug yeah. through those things. But yeah, it, that definitely doesn't belong there. Sounds like a good migration issue. For and Mike, it's a great start to start with the <laughs> outcome reporting because one of the key things, if, especially if you're working in a regulated industry or for a company, they're going to have very specific requirements about data retention and how long they have to retain the data for, which is going to let you exponentially calculate how many rows of data do I need to be able to, to manage for. Um, and if they don't know and they want to keep everything forever, then that's also a great place to start that conversation, Antonio, because yeah. keeping everything forever is often not a great plan unless you have a specific regulatory need to keep it forever. Exactly. And I find that the it's interesting. We have that conversation often with companies that are moving to the cloud where on-prem they kept everything forever because they thought, well, storage is cheap. So keeping everything forever is the safest thing to do and the cost is minimal. It's not minimal at all when you're trying to restore a SharePoint server from 2003 because it had a bunch of data that you have kept forever and right. you, you know, you're now being required to restore. That takes weeks to do now. Um, and I think those not to costs, mention legal evidence, I yeah. that was a new concept for me that you and I have talked about, right? That's if right. you have it, then you might have to actually locate it Present and provide it. it for legal evidence. So sometimes exactly. not having it is actually better from a risk exactly. perspective. Exactly. And and I think moving to the cloud is surfacing those costs more. So keeping everything forever is no longer um, realistic for companies. So I do you think that helps? Um, so Heidi, do you get into those kinds of discussions when you are planning a business process? Like Sarah brought up a good point around how many of these things are you going to do over a period of time? Like how do you how do you approach that discussion? Yeah, archival is always an issue for me. Yeah, I do bring that up of that this is going to grow fast, you know, and what do we want to do with that? And um, 
I haven't found a great solution yet. You know, just something as simple as we're just going to relocate the records to a new list, which is going to grow exponentially, but at least keep it out of the production list, I would say, you know, and just kind of move them to some sort of an archive site or list. Um, you touch a bit on on Power Apps. Um, at what point you suggest using the Power Apps? Assuming that we use it with doing SharePoint as a as a data source, uh, do you always go the Power Apps option, or if there is any specific need for Power Apps rather than just keeping it as a SharePoint list form, like the regular out of the box form? Yeah, that's another great question. So I always try and lean towards the Power Apps list form in SharePoint if I can um, for these these items or processes that live directly in SharePoint. I think that's the easiest way. It's most like InfoPath. So if users are used to using InfoPath, it's kind of the next logical replacement, even though the training and the controls are entirely different. I think that is, it's built in, it's simple, it's, you know, it's good enough. Um, otherwise, I've also used just li- SharePoint list forms and formatting. I think that works great mm-hmm. too. You know that they have all those custom samples on out on GitHub. Like that works wonderful as well. Um, the and then the last case is if it's more of an all more an all encompassing form or solution. That's when you really get into the actual full blown app. And if you need to use Dataverse, then that's when you would go the actual Power App route. But that custom list form is really where where I like to live most of the time. I like it. This has been great. I feel like you stood up to a lot of questions and fast <laughs> round robin questions, Heidi. <laughs> this, like For I sure. said, I've been doing this. This is where my my passion lies. Is this whole approvals and helping people streamline their processes? And you can do this too. I promise. You know, that's the kind that's of my great. my stance. So. And Heidi, we've seen you presenting at conferences the last uh, couple of years since since we all came back from COVID. Do you have any conferences where where you're presenting at coming up? I I did submit for the next round of Las Vegas, um, okay. the Microsoft 365 conference. I'll be at the Power Platform one in October in Great. Vegas as well. So yeah, Great. and you're coming that's to awesome. the Twin Cities. I, that's yes. right. That's, that's right. We we'll see you at Twin <laughs> Cities. Or at least most of us here will see you at Twin Cities. You All of us who who like Minnesota people will be in the Twin Cities. Uh, some oh, of us make other right choices. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'll be enjoying the sun. Yes. I know. He'll be stuck in the snow. That's right. Yeah. yeah, he'll be toasting us with a margarita or That's a right. daiquiri. <laughs> well, Heidi, I want to thank you for your time. It's been great uh, connecting with you and uh, talking through what you do and, and sharing your thoughts with us. And again, congratulations on your MVP award. That's phenomenal and well-deserved. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Heidi. Thanks, everyone. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs>